Thank God for that good preaching, amen. I'm trying to find that puddle of sweat. I'm going to rub some of that on me. Maybe I can preach like that. Good night. Man, that's good. Amen. I'm telling you, that's a wonderful preacher. I'm telling you, that stirred my heart. Amen. I love him. Brother Philip preached. He's one of my favorites, and I mean that. Amen. And, uh, and I thank God for it. Amen. What a blessing. And I hope you don't mind, but I'll probably preach that pretty soon. And uh, man, that's good. That stirred my heart. And uh, 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 I said back there, brother, brother Nick said, man, that's a great outline. I said, I'm preaching that. Amen. Amen. I'll give you credit to for it, too. Amen. I say, where do you get that at? I said, the Lord gave it to me. Amen. Amen. Out by the river, the Lord just spoke to me. And uh, man, I enjoyed that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. If you got a Bible this morning, turn to the book of John, chapter number two. John, chapter number two. And uh, man, that stirred my heart. I'm telling you, I, I'm honest when I. And I'm not just saying this. I could leave right now and say it's been good. Amen. My soul, that stirred my heart. And uh, I tell you what stirred my heart so much about it. Some, a couple things he says. Um, you know, uh, I wasn't raised in church. And uh, I didn't know anything about, I mean, really church uh, or the things of God. And uh, to, to be involved in a church and to be around God's people, that was all new to me. And uh, uh, when I got saved, really none of my family was serving God, so I didn't have any encouragement at home, uh, n- none of my family, uh, nobody, really, and, uh, and, and had no encouragement. And even my wife's family, very few of them was in church and, and uh, was encouraged into what we were trying to do. And uh, we were making a lot of changes. The Lord was making a lot of changes in our life, but, uh, but, but, but my family was not thrilled about it. And her family was not thrilled about it, and uh, but by, but 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 God put us in a church, and man, they loved. I appreciate the people of God, don't you? Amen. Man, I'm telling you, that stirred my heart, and uh, just to think about the providence of God, Amen. And uh, He's talking about God done it just for you, and I just think about how that God, the places God put me in, the people God put in my path uh, to tell tell me the word of God and share the gospel with me. And uh, even even lead me to the church that I I, I had no idea what kind of I didn't know I tell you how I found out I was, it's kind of a funny story I preached a revival this past week in Westminster South Carolina and it reminded me but right after I got saved the man who won me the Lord uh, I was working for him he was my supervisor and uh, uh, on ever after I got saved really even before I got saved. Whatever town we were working in, we traveled all over, and whatever town we were working in, uh, we'd always try to find a church to go to. And um, uh, he, uh, he, told us one, he told me one night, we were rooming together, and he said, find us a church, get in the yellow pages. And that's been a while ago, you know. And uh, some of you don't even know what that is, but get in the yellow pages and find, uh, find us a church. And so um, I, I looked in the yellow pages, and we were, we were trying to find a church in Westminster, South Carolina. And uh, so I looked at Baptist churches, and there was uh, a Free Will Baptist, Missionary Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist. I mean, there's a whole list of different types of Baptists. And uh, I looked at him, and I said, what are we? <laughs> he said, we're Independent Baptist. I said, well, amen, all right, right here's one. <laughs> And that's how I found out I was an independent Baptist. I didn't even know what that meant. This, I, I'm serious when I say this. I, I thought I was a Southern Baptist because I lived in the South. Amen. I mean, that's how ignorant I was, Brother Philip. I didn't know anything. But, boy, God just put some people in my life. Man, I'm so thankful. Man, I'm glad I'm saved this morning. I should be in hell. But God came to where I was and uh, brought me up out of the horrible pit. Changed my life. But not only that, he's let me serve him. Amen. Amen. Let me go around this world and preach the gospel and tell others about Jesus. I never would have imagined. Amen. Brother Philip and I were, he was talking about his trip to Africa, and I went in 2017. And uh, I was standing on the balcony preaching to uh, uh, about 900 kids at a school. Uh, I say kids, they were teenagers. Um, and I just got to thinking, here, here, this old country boy from the hills of North Carolina in Africa preaching about 900. 
Mm. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful this morning. Amen. And I'm telling you, we don't do nothing else. We just stop and thank God for what he's done and, and who he is. And, and I'm telling you, I bless the Lord. I'm thankful for who he is. Amen. John chapter number 2 this morning. And if he finds a place, I would invite you to stand as we read the scripture. John chapter number 2. I have been studying recently through the Gospels and uh, uh, just a harmony of the Gospels, the life of Christ, if you will, in, in a chronological aspect. And uh, been one of the greatest studies of, uh, that I've ever done uh, because it's interesting to think about the different uh, miracles that Christ performed at the different times in his ministry. Not only the different miracles, but the different teachings or even parables that he taught at the different times in his ministry. Here in John chapter number 2, this is, the Bible tells us in verse number 11 in John 2, this is the beginning of miracles. So this is the first miracle in the life of our Lord and, and, uh, and or his ministry. Uh, I'd say the virgin birth would be the first miracle, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, this is the first miracle. And what's so amazing about this miracle is at this moment, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but at this moment, nobody really knew who he was. And one of the, this is quite possibly one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed being his first miracle. It's only recorded in the Gospel of John. John chapter number 2, verse number 1. Look what your Bible said. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Uh, mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith un unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear it unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. Well, that's what we need, isn't it? And his disciples believed on him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for the privilege. God, to be in church this morning, Lord, I thank you, God, so much for who you are. and God, what you've done for me, Father, I realize that if it was not for the grace of God, I'd be in hell today, Lord. But I so, I'm so thankful, God, for salvation. Lord, I'm thankful, God, for the gospel today. Lord, I thank you, God, for the preaching that we've already heard. Lord, how you stirred my heart, Lord, and I bless your name for it. And I'm so thankful, God. Lord, I just want to thank you, God, for all, all that you've done and who you are, God. I pray you'd forgive me, God, for not being thankful enough. Lord, I pray you'd help us today. And God, I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts as we try to uh, look to the Word of God for some help this morning. God, I pray, Lord, give us a traveling mind through the Scripture. God, I pray you'd touch every heart. God, I pray you'd meet every need. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. Uh, the Bible says here in this miracle, and I just want to look at this miracle, but I, I guess if I had a title, it would be in verse number 7, where Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And uh, I guess if that would be a title, it would just be that. Fill the water pots with water and and uh, and so I love this miracle and again I this is the first miracle that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. It is interesting the type of miracle that Jesus or the type of setting, if you will, that Jesus chose 
to perform his first miracle. I mean, he could have, he could have chose any setting. He could have chose any group of people, any situation, how to perform a miracle in. Listen, he is uh, the omniscient God. Amen. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But Jesus chose at a wedding feast how to perform his first miracle. And it lets us know what he thinks about the uh, a marriage and the home. And how, when he's looking for a circumstance or a situation to begin his ministry, if you will, he began it at a wedding feast. It's interesting when you come to the book of John, we know this, that the theme of the book of John is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. John lays forth the argument that Jesus is the Son of the living God. There's no lineage in the Gospel of John. John simply goes back to the very beginning and said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was without God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And listen, and, and so he said, And the Word was with God. I'm, I'm missing that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, he said, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John lays out this, uh, listen, this argument, if you will, for Jesus being the Son of God. In doing that, if you study the Gospel of John, we know this, that the writer... John never mentioned himself by name. He's always referred to as a disciple or as a disciple whom Jesus loved. What's interesting is you come to John chapter number 2 and the Bible tells us in verse number, uh, verse number 1 and the latter part, the mother of Jesus was there. Now we know who the mother of Jesus is, but what is interesting is in the Gospel of John, John never calls her by name. He never calls her Mary, but he always refers to her as his mother. Why? Because the emphasis is not about others, but the emphasis is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, listen, you know this, that when you study the, 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 the principle of first mentioned the first time you see something mentioned or the first circumstance that you see something you'll find that principle all the way through in the word of God well this being the first miracle in this text and you'll find some principles in this miracle how that tells us a little bit about the focus of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ again in this miracle that we read about and you hear it in the first 11 verses not not only is Mary not mentioned by name, but there's at least six disciples here, uh, I think, at this uh, marriage feast. And uh, none of the disciples are mentioned by name. And the couple that is, uh, that is being married is not mentioned by name. The governor of the feast is not mentioned by name. The servants are not mentioned by name. As a matter of fact, the only one mentioned by name is Jesus. And six different times in these 11 verses, Jesus is mentioned by name. And can I say this? When you study a Bible, six is the number of man. And you know what man needs more than anything? And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer for the problems of life. Amen. And so as we come to this miracle this morning, there's a lot we could say about of this setting. There's a lot we could say about the water pots. There's six water pots of stone and they put water in those water pots and God transformed the water to wine. He performed a miracle. Again, six is the number of man. And uh, listen, man has a stony heart. But if you pour the word of God in the heart of man, God will work a miracle and take the water and transform it uh, into something complete 
completely new. Isn't that what happened to you when you got saved by the grace of God? Somebody shared the scripture with you. Somebody poured the water in your heart. But God done a work and made something completely new. And so there's a lot we could say about the water pots. But I'm interested in just a couple different characters, if you will, in this miracle. And I want to, I'll say a few things and be done. I want you to notice, first of all, as we examine this first miracle, I want you to notice the, the master's presence. Amen. The Bible tells us in verse number one, and the third day. Can I just stop and say this? And the third day. If you study the Gospel of John, uh, John in the first chapter, matter of fact, chapter one and chapter two, he lays out the first week of our Lord's ministry. And so this third day would be the seventh day, or the or the it'd be the seventh day. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter one, John is very uh, he is very precise when he lays out the day. Uh, he says several times, and again the next day, and the next day. This third day would be the third day from the from the call of Nathaniel, and it would be the seventh day in the Lord's ministry. Amen. Isn't it amazing that on the seventh day there is a marriage. Amen. At the seventh day there is a wedding feast. How can I say for six days he's been working. But on the seventh day they will be a marriage feast. They will be the marriage supper of the Lamb on the seventh day. Amen. And so, but I don't want to get on that. I want to look at his presence at this miracle. I want to say first of all Jesus is here we know that the Bible tells us that he is present at this wedding feast but the reason he is present is because of an invitation verse number 2 says this that both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage and so Jesus is invited to the wedding this couple thought it necessary to make Jesus a major part of their wedding ceremony shows a lot of wisdom in this couple uh, to make Christ a part of the beginning of their life. Amen. Uh, together. And so uh, he is invited here. Now it's interesting that the disciples are with him. You say why is that? Because listen they've only been with him for a few days. Uh, Nathaniel is from Canaan so he may have been familiar with this family but none of the others would have probably have known this family but it appears that these disciples were made a part, made a part of this wedding uh, because Jesus was invited. Amen. In other words they were there because they were following the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, listen he tells Nathaniel in verse chapter number one he said listen you're going to see great things look at verse number 51 of chapter one and he saith unto him verily verily I say unto you hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man and so he said you're going to see greater things hereafter and in chapter two just a few days later they began to see greater things because of their association with the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to say friend listen I've, I've seen some wonderful things and I've been a part of some wonder, wonderful things all because of my association with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is here because he is invited. And I want to say this morning, uh, listen, that he'll go where he is made welcome. Amen. You remember in John chapter number 4 when he must needs go through Samaria. He goes there and gives the woman a drink of living water. And then she goes in the city and said come see a man that told me all things ever I did it's not this the Christ and many of the Samaritans of the city came unto him and the Bible said this they besought him that he would stay there now chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that he must needs go through Samaria, but because the, that because those Samarian, Samaritans were uh, so desperate for him to remain there, he abode for two days, and so he'll go where he is welcome, and he will dwell where he is made welcome. Amen. So he's there by invitation. But I want to say, don't see there by invitation. He's there because he is interested in what's going on. Amen. 
Now you know this, that, uh, listen, just because you receive an invitation to a certain event does not mean you have to go. It does not mean you will go. It does not mean you want to go. Amen. I mean, down through the years, I've received my family and I've received a lot of wedding invitations and graduation invitations and birthday invitations and different things and I'm thankful for all of them but just to be honest there's some of them when we receive them and open them up and look at them and automatically we know we are not going Amen. I mean, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to check the calendar out. I mean, really, just be honest about you. Look at it and throw it in the trash because you know that you are not going. Amen. And the reason you're not, either you're not interested or you don't have, really, that's the main reason. You're just, uh, you don't really want to go. Amen. Isn't that right? But can I say, listen, if, uh, if, if, you, if you make a point to go, it's because you want to be there. Amen. My youngest daughter got married a few months ago, and uh, it was funny. We sent out invitations, or they did, and, and uh, they sit down and started making an invitation list, Brother Philip. And I came in, and I said, all right, how many, how many invitations do you have? And they had like 400 on their list. Invitations, not people, just invitations. I said, no, 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 no. No, I said, I'm not going to feed that many people. You can forget it. And I said, you need to narrow, narrow that down, Amen. And uh, so they made invitations. Anyway, sent them out. And, uh, but you know what? Uh, we got one of those invitations and put it on our refrigerator. And uh, listen, my wife told me, she said, you better not schedule anything. Uh, that is our baby's wedding. And you know what? I didn't. Listen, I made sure to be there because I was invested. That was uh, my baby girl. And I was interested in the people that was involved in that wedding. How can I say the reason Jesus is at this wedding feast is because he is interested in what's going on. He is interested in the people that is here and we don't know their name. We don't know anything about their background. We don't know, listen, really anything about them. But what we do know is Jesus is interested in them. And what you'll find all the way through the ministry of Christ that He is interested in people. Amen. But you know he never did perform a miracle to benefit himself. He did not, he never per- performed a miracle for him, but it was always for others because the focus of his ministry was on people. And I'm glad that he's interested in people. I'm glad that he's interested in you and I. It does not matter what side of the track we come from man, woman, boy, girl, a Jew or Gentile. He is interested in every single individual. He's here because he is interested. Amen. Not only is he interested, but we'll see in a moment he gets involved. Amen. Oh, friend, listen, he he gets involved in this situation, this feast, this family. He gets involved in what's going on. And I want to say this, that listen, uh, not only will he, but he wants to be involved. Amen. So we see the master's presence. Don't you notice the mother's perception in this text? Look what the Bible says in verse number 4 and Jesus, or verse number 3, excuse me. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Notice her insight. Now, so they have, they ran, run out of wine. And you need to know this morning that that is a major deal. Amen. That is a major deal. I mean to run out of wine or food or anything at a feast in that day. By the way, a wedding feast would go for seven days. And uh, listen, they tell me that if it was a virgin, they would start the wedding on a Wednesday. But if it was a widow, it would be another day. And I don't know why that is, but that's what I read. But it would be anyway, it would be a seven-day feast. And, uh, and for them to run out of anything would be a major ordeal. As a matter of fact, as some would say that they could even be charged with a crime for running out of any kind of supplies at the wedding and not providing enough for those that they have invited. So this, it, not only would it be an embarrassment to the family, uh, but listen, it could be even a crime to fall short of making the proper preparations uh, for the wedding. Boy, there's a message in that, isn't it? Amen. 
but, 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 so they've run out of wine. It is a big deal. Amen. And, and, and his mother, she goes to him. Most commentators believe that she knew this family well and that she had a part in the planning process. That's why that she was one of the first to know that they had no wine, that they had ran out of wine. But it's interesting, as, she, as soon as she discovered that they'd run out of wine, her next move was simply to go to the Lord Jesus and to tell Him what's going on. Amen. Now, now, now here's what's amazing about that. Now get this. This is the first miracle. He's never performed a miracle up to this point before. Hey, listen, there's no, there's no indication at this time that he's going to perform miracles. Amen. I mean, if this miracle would have took place at the end of his ministry, and if they'd been in a marriage feast, maybe, let's just say, toward the last year of his ministry, after he had fed the multitude, and after he had walked on water, and calmed the storm, and raised the dead, and healed the leper, man, if it had been that moment, that time period, when they ran out of wine at a wedding feast, everybody would have said, hey, listen, let's go to Jesus, because he's the only one, that can do anything about our situation. Amen. But at this point, first miracle, nobody really knows who he is. All they know is that he is Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. He is that hometown boy. How that's grown up, the carpenter's son, and has labored with his stepfather, and has loved on his mother. He, that's all they know about this young man by the name of Jesus. Nobody understands that he is the Messiah. Nobody understands that he is the Son of God. Amen. But there's one person at this wedding that knew who he was. Amen. Now, 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 now hang on. Do you know this? Did you know one of the most attacked doctrines in your Bible is the virgin birth of the Son of God? And there's a couple reasons for that. The first reason would be the importance of it. But the second reason would be the fact that it's the hardest thing to prove of anything about the life of Christ. I mean, if you study, listen, if you study historical writings... If you read after Josephus or any Jewish historian or any Roman historian that wrote about this day, they wrote about a man named Jesus. They wrote about a man named Jesus that performed great signs and wonders. And so his very existence is proven apart from the Bible in historical writings. Are you with me? Not only, not only his existence, but his miracles and, and his death. Matter of fact, historical writings record his crucifixion and even his resurrection. They spoke, uh, historical writings speak about the fact that he uh, was supposed to have rise from the dead and he was seen uh, of many after the fact. And so historical writings prove the existence, the miracles, and even the death and even the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Because there was so many, listen, there was people that did not believe him that saw him. There was people that never believed, never trusted him that saw the miracles. There's people that never trusted him that saw him after the resurrection. Amen. But I want to say there's only a couple people. No. If he was really born of a virgin or not. Amen. There's only, I mean, listen, even Joseph had his question. You remember when, she, when Joseph found out she was with child, he sought to put her away privily. And the, what that means was that they were betrothed and they were to get married. But he had thought she had been unfaithful. And in order for a man to put a woman away in that betrothal period that was unfaithful, he had to make a public declaration of her unfaithfulness and put her, aside. But Joseph sought to put her away privately. In other words, to break the engagement in a private manner. But, the, but God come to him in a message, sent a message his way and said, Fear not, Joseph, for the, how the thing that she has in her is a holy one of God. As she's conceived of the Holy Ghost. Even Joseph had his questions. Amen. But I'm telling you, listen, if anybody knew that he was born of a virgin, 
it was her. Amen. She knew how that she was clean. She knew that she was innocent. And she knew that the Holy Ghost of God overshadowed her and placed the seed of heaven in her womb. She knew when she brought forth the Son of God that he was not just a man, that he was not just a child, but he was the Son of the, of the living God. She knew that he was God amongst us. She knew who he was. And she had watched him for 30 years. Never commit one sin. Neither was any guile found in his mouth. And so when they come to that place, she knew that nobody else could help them. But she knew who he was. And she said, I don't know if he will, but I know he can. I don't know if he'll do anything, but I know he's capable because I know who he is. She had enough insight to go to him because she knew who he was. Amen. Not only see her inside, but notice her informing. Amen. In other words, she said to Jesus, she said unto him, they have no wine. Amen. Now we know this, he's omniscient. We see that in chapter 1. Amen. He amazed Nathaniel with the, his omniscience. And, and so he's omniscient. He knew they had no wine. Amen. He knew that they would run out of wine before he got there. Amen. But she had enough wisdom to go to him and let him know what is going on. Amen. I want to say tonight, for this morning, friend, God knows everything in our life, does he not? He's the all-seeing, all-knowing Savior, and he knows everything. Amen. And he's able to do anything, but he does like it when we inform him on what's going on in our life. Amen. Then notice her instruction in verse number 5. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's quickly becoming one of my favorite verses in all your Bible. She turns around and looks at those servants and says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And this is what's so amazing to me about that statement. That's the last recorded words of Mary in all the Bible. Amen. There's no other... There's no other record where she's spoken. I mean, listen, you say, did she speak? She may have had, but listen, there's no record of it. That is the last recorded words. Why is that, preacher? I'll tell you why. Because there's nothing else to be said. Amen. How whatever he says, do it. She put the emphasis on his word. How whatever he says is what's important. Whatever he says is right. Whatever he says, do it. She put the importance on his word. Amen. By the way, by the way, if you study his ministry, the importance of his ministry was his word. Amen. And the works that he done, he done to confirm his word. Amen. And so she looks at that crowd and says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Amen. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't it? And then notice this. Notice not only the, the, the master's presence, the mother's perception, but notice the men's performance. And this is really what I want to get to. The men's performance. First of all, notice the command. The Bible said, Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now what we learn about these water pots, we find in verse number 6. The Bible said there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. So what we learn about these water pots is that they were water pots that had contained water for purification. They did not contain wine at one point. They contained... I've often wondered where were the vessels that held the wine. Amen. He didn't say get those empty vessels that you, used, that you had wine in and fill those up. No, he looked at those water pots that was used for purification. And what that was was the Jews were much about cleanliness. And they still are. And uh, listen, they would wash their hands ceremonial, ceremonially before a meal. Their hands would be washing. Their feet was, would be washing. And uh, listen, their utensils would even be washed. And they were much about cleanliness. What they would do, and they still do it some in ceremonies, is uh, they had a vessel or a small vessel that had two handles on it. 
and they would pick that handle up or pick that vessel up and dip water in it. And they would hold on to one handle and pour water on their hand and cleanse it. And then they would grab the other handle and pour water on the other hand and clean their hands. And so they were much about what you remember when Jesus and the disciples went through the field and picked corn. And they criticized them for not washing their hands. And the reason why was because they did not do what the Jews thought they should do for purification. Amen. And so these water pots were used for ceremonial cleansing. And Jesus said, fill them up. Amen. But I want to say this, listen. I mean, if that would have been me, I would have said, now wait a minute. We're not needing more water to wash our hands. We're not needing more water to wash our feet. We're not needing our utensils clean. We are needing, what would the problem we have is wine. That's the problem. But it almost like, it's almost like Jesus ignores the problem. And he looks at the water pots that have nothing to do with wine and said, fill them up. Amen. Now, that's, just, that's unusual. But I, but I, and I thought a, about, a lot about this. I thought about, listen, uh, what in the world made them uh, just obey what he said without any question? Because, again, it's the first miracle. Amen. If that had been one of the last miracles... I mean, they, they could have looked at one, one another and said, Listen, I don't know what he's going to do, but I promise you he's going to do something. We've seen him take five loaves and two fish and feed the multitude. Hey, listen, we've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him do this or that. But at this point, they haven't seen him do anything. And so when Jesus gives them a command that does not make sense, Amen. Why would they even, without hesitation, obey it? Notice, notice their compliance. Look at the Bible. said, verse number 7. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water, and then filled them up to the brim. Amen. So they done exactly what he said to do. They didn't question without hesitation. Listen, without argument, they submitted to what he said to do and they done exactly what he said. And I thought about it so much. Why would they blindly submit to someone that they really don't even know who he is and they really don't have any understanding at this point? Y'all see what I'm saying? They don't know he's the Messiah yet. The miracle manifested forth his glory. But they obeyed not knowing who he is. Why? Here it is. Look at, look at your Bible. It's in verse number. Look at verse 5. And his mother saith unto the what? Servants. Look what the Bible says in verse number. Uh, listen. Verse number 7. Jesus saith unto them. Who's the them? The servants. Fill the water pots with, with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bared it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine and knew not whence it was. Watch this. But the servants which drew the water knew. Amen. You say, preacher, what made them obey the Lord? How not knowing who he is? I'll tell you why. Because they were servants. Amen. A servant don't question authority. A servant don't ask why. A servant don't question what's the reason or does not even pose an argument. A servant simply just obeys the command that's been given them. And listen, again, they don't know who he is, but they just obey him because he is, they are servants. And I want to say this morning, friend, listen, I know who he is. And I know what he's able to do. And listen, we we, we profess to be his servants. If, if we are, then we should obey him fully without restraint. Amen. Amen. They're compliance. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting about this. And I, I mean, these six water pots, anywhere from 17 to 25 gallons apiece, about 120 to 150 gallons of water 
and they obeyed fully. Amen. One writer said about the fact that Jesus used, why didn't he tell them disciples to do it? Amen. Why didn't he tell, listen, the governor of the feast to do it? Why didn't he tell the family getting married to do it? Nobody looked at those servants. And what he's trying to teach us is God is pleased with using the lowly to do the mighty. Amen. And that's what he does in this text. He used the lowly servants. Uh, listen, can I, again, we don't know their name. We don't know anything about them. Uh, and listen, all we know is that they are servants. Uh, and listen, they were obedient to his command. Amen. I thought about this. <clears throat> listen, their commitment. They, they filled the water pots with water. The Bible said they filled them up to the brim. In other words, when he told them to fill the water pots, they kept doing it until they could not do it no more. Amen. They didn't stop and say, is that enough? Is it time to quit? You want me to leave now? Uh, listen, this thing's getting hard. I mean, it's 150 gallons of water. It's getting tough and it's getting hard and everybody's looking at us wondering what's going on and, and they're confused at what we're doing and everybody's wondering why we're doing what we're doing. It, can we quit? No, no, no. They never stopped. They never spoke up. They just kept doing Listen, they kept running on the original command that they were given and they kept being obedient to the first command until they could not no more. Amen. Amen. But notice, verse number 9 I think is interesting. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made not wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. You know who knew about the miracle before anybody else? The servants. Amen. They knew about the miracle before the ruler of the feast. They knew about the miracle probably before his, even mo his own mother. They knew about the miracle before the family did. Hi, listen, he he, because of the, the obedience of these servants, he allowed them to see some things before anybody else. He allowed them to be a part of some things before anybody else. Amen. And the compensation, what is the compensation of this miracle? Well, let me say this, it's gladness. Amen. Amen. You know in the Bible that wine when it's in a positive sense always typifies joy. And they had run out of wine. And they were, they, they were disappointed. But Jesus brought joy to the circumstance. Well, I'm glad he can still deliver joy, aren't you? Their gladness. Amen. Then, then there's glory. Look what he said in verse number 11. This beginning of miracles just Jesus in Galilee. And manifested forth his glory. You know what that means? That means from that point on, he began to show everybody who he really was. This miracle. Say, so why did this miracle? Well, but you know this. Uh, you know that there's different when you study the miracles of Christ. I'm about done. They study the, when you study the miracles of Christ, there's several different types of miracles. There's uh, the, the removing of demons. I think four different times he directly he removed or cast out demons. There's the removing of demons. There's the raising of the dead. I think at least three times he raised the dead. There's the raising of the dead. There's the removing of demons. And uh, listen, there's the restoration of health. He restored the sick. Amen. Raised, I mean, uh, healed the blind and uh, cleansed the leper. He, the, he restored their health. But then there's the ruling of nature. And this first miracle was not a restoration of health, but it was a ruling of nature. You say, what do you mean? Well, in order to turn water to wine, he done in a moment what it takes nature several months to do. Because in order to get wine, which would be juice from a grape, amen, Matter of fact, so I don't know about that. Well, Isaiah 65 and 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Amen. So the, the juice of a grape is referred to as wine. Amen. How, how do you get juice from a grape? Well, a seed has to be planted. Then it has to rain. And, uh, amen. And then, and then uh, sun has to shine on it. 
And through a process of time, that seed begins to bud and grow. And uh, through a process of the vine growing, then eventually from rain and sun and, and everything, eventually it will produce fruit. Then the fruit has to be harvested. And then the fruit has to be crushed, amen, in order to get the juice out of it. And so it is a process of several months. But Jesus done in a moment what it takes nature several months to do. Now I said all I'd say this, there was a, there, miracles in that day was not an uncommon occurrence. <laughs> you remember when Moses went down to Egypt? And God told him to cast his rod upon the ground. It turned to a serpent and he done that. And then those magicians of Pharaoh done the same thing. Do you remember that? And then, listen, I think the first three or four plagues there or the first three or four signs they, that they copied. They turned the water to blood as well. They, they created serpents as well. Amen. They, uh, they, create, they, they, they caused frogs upon the earth as well. Amen. And when you come to the Gospels, you'll find this. You'll find that they had, others had cast out demons as well. You remember Matthew chapter number 12 when Jesus, uh, when that crowd uh, accused him of blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. And uh, he said this. He said, that, he said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, he said, who do you cast out demons by? Amen. But nobody, nobody, could, could rule nature except a creator. Amen. And in this day, he let that whole crowd know that he was more than just a prophet and he was more than just a man and he was more than just the Nazarene but he was the creator of all the earth. He Listen, when he tells creation how to submit, all creation must submit to him. Amen. Manifest for this glory. Then it brought growth. Look what the Bible said in verse number 11 again. The Bible said, and his disciples believed on him. Amen. Well, they'd already believed him. Amen. But could you imagine how much more that increased their faith? But I, I said all that to say this. But everything in this miracle is contingent on the obedience of the servants. Jesus never spoke to the water. He never prayed over it. He never touched it. Amen. The first miracle was contingent on the obedience of servants. Can I tell you, can I tell you why we're not seeing much glory? Can I tell you why we're not seeing much gladness? Can I tell you why we see, we're not seeing much growth? Because a lot of the work of God is dependent upon the obedience of servants. Amen. If not for their obedience, there would have been no miracle. Amen. Everything hinged on the obedience of the servants. Amen. What you'll find, you study the ministry of Christ, that one of the, one of the, one of the biggest teachings of his whole life was obedience to his word. Amen. That's why she said, whatsoever he saith unto you do it. Now, let me say this. <clears throat> a lot of times, I know what I'm supposed to do. And a lot of times, I even know what the Bible says I should do. My problem is, I just don't do it. Amen. We have lived up into a day where there's probably more Bible knowledge. I'm talking about just probably amongst as as good a Bible preaching right now as they've ever been. Amen. I'm not talking about in the world and I'm not talking about all of y'all understand what I'm talking about. We got more resources. I got I got I got fifteen hundred books on my iPad. We got more resources right now we've ever had. Amen. Most of us know what we should do and even what the Bible says. But just knowing it will not accomplish anything. And I'm going to tell you what's crippling our churches and what's crippling our own personal walk is failure to be obedient 
for what he says. You, you can sum just about everything up in that. In that. If we'll do what he says, <laughs> we'll see some glory. We'll see some gladness. We'll see some growth. Amen. Let's bow our head for a word of prayer. I'm going to pray. Maybe the Lord touched your heart this morning. I know we feel a number. But the Lord's been here with us. And one of my biggest failures is failure to obey. Why I want God to help me with that. I want to be just like those servants. Not Lord, why? But just obey. Just do. Just, just comply to his word. I want to be obedient. And I need the Lord to help me with that. Because my biggest struggle is not, it's not, it's not others, it's not the world. My biggest struggle is myself. And the battle I have with my own self. And failure to heed what thus saith the word of God. And apply that truth to my life. I want to know truth, but I want to, I want to hit, learn to heed truth and obey it today. Lord, help us. Lord, help us, God. Lord, help us. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for the word of God this morning. I want to thank you, God, for your presence, and thank you, Lord, for the preaching that we've heard earlier and how you stirred my heart. Lord, I can't even thank you enough for that. And Lord, I thank you, God, for the good, sweet spirit of God today. Lord, I pray you'd help us, God. You have been so good to each one of us. There's no doubt about that. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and committed to a life of obedience. And God, I pray you'd help us not to grieve the Spirit. Lord, I pray you'd help us today. Empower us. Fill us, God. To be the obedient servants that we need to be. Lord, I love you today. Thank you for loving us. Help your people, Lord. Help this church. Bless the services tonight. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, preacher.